I want us to think for a few moments this morning about how we hear or how we receive the Word of God. I've heard Brother Johnson speak several times. And one thing I can tell you about him is he will be true to God's Word. We wouldn't ask him if he, would, if he wasn't true to God's Word. But he's also a very practical uh, speaker. He will make sure the Bible infiltrates our lives and helps us know what we need to do each day of our life. He's able to take those things from Scripture and make them practical. And I appreciate that so very much. But what is it like when we hear the truth presented? What are we to be doing? In Acts chapter 17, I hope you open your Bible to that chapter. In fact, if you leave that chapter open in front of you, you'll have the entire outline of our lesson right there in front of you. Because in Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul was simply proclaiming the truth. Now, it was a very different situation from a gospel meeting. Paul was presenting a lesson to some people who were not believers, at least not yet. But the lesson he presented in what we'll call the the latter third, if you will, of Acts chapter 17, was still a very practical and a very needed lesson for those who were hearing him. He was in the city of Athens, Greece, which would have been, even at this time, though the Roman Empire was now in charge, but even at this time, Athens was still considered the philosophical, we might say the educational center or capital of the world, though Rome obviously was the civic capital of the world. Learning and philosophy were still at the very center of the identity of the city of Athens and the region around it. And Paul, in Acts chapter 17, took the time to get to know the city at least a little bit better by walking around the streets and just seeing what was going on. And you recall that he reported that he saw all of these idols. There were thousands and thousands and thousands of them, historians tell us. Basically, the streets were lined with various images and idols and plaques and other things throughout the city. And finally, he made his way to Mars Hill, to a place called the Areopagus, or sometimes you'll hear it pronounced the Areopagus, where he would present a lesson. And interestingly, verse 21 of Acts chapter 17 gave us some insight into the minds of those that he would be speaking to. Notice Acts 17, 21. Now all the Athenians... And the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. That's the audience to whom Paul is going to be presenting this message. He was not going to be preaching at the Athens Church of Christ. He was preaching to a pagan audience, but one who was so philosophical, they they might think of themselves as so enlightened, that all they wanted to hear was something new just to keep adding to this wealth of knowledge or breadth of knowledge they thought that they had. And so Paul was going into an audience who might have listened, but not really with the intent that we might want people to hear the truth of God's Word. They would have thought, let's just get more enlightened and see the more spiritual side of life, no matter what it might look like. And so Paul starts right where they are in their mind, their intellect. And he brings them very quickly to the Creator God. He began his lesson, read with me verses 22 through 25. Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this or him I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. 
Now the contrast that Paul draws between what they would have known as gods or deities and this one God could not be any uh, more stark. Here was a God who didn't just create fire, or didn't just rule over grain, or didn't just create the sun, or didn't just rule over food. This God created everything. And His Lord rules over everything. That one fact would have piqued their minds. How could there possibly be one God over everything or who created everything? That's not what they were used to hearing. Paul would make sure that they understood also that this God is not one that you can build a temple where He literally dwells. Now I know in the Old Testament there was a temple and God's presence was there, but God was still everywhere. These people believe that whichever God it was actually dwelt in a particular temple. But not this God. He dwells everywhere. But unlike the God of their mythology that dwelt on a mountain that could not be approached, this God, verse 27, is actually not far from each, some translations have every, one of us. In fact, verse 28, Paul would say something they probably could not even believe. We are indeed His offspring. Here you had a mythological background. A philosophical background. An educational background. Where the gods were distant. Where you built temples and that's where they dwelt. Or they dwelt over on the mountain. And they were their own thing. And they just punished people. They, they might have entered the world from time to time to do things. But they, they just were so aloof and so distant. And Paul goes so far as to say, not with the God I'm talking about. We're His offspring. That's how close this God is. To us. And finally, then, Paul makes his final point. It's a very short speech or sermon. But Paul makes the point that this God, the God he's talking about, would be our judge at the end. And there's proof of it. In verses 30 and 31, the times of this ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, He has given assurance to all by raising Him from the dead. Now that's the whole speech. That's what Paul gives. He takes them from where they are. They're very religious, but they're religious in a a philosophical way, a multi-god, a a polytheistic way, just an intellectual way. I'm going to take them from that to there's one God. He created everything. He rules over everything. He will judge everything. And for that, there's proof. And that proof is there's a resurrection. The one who's going to be the judge, we know him as Christ, but the one who is going to be the judge, he was raised from the dead. That's the whole speech. Some of you are thinking, why don't you use Paul's outline? He would talk for like three minutes. That would be really nice, wouldn't it? It's really short, but it's very profound and very powerful. Before we get to the main point of where we're going, look at what Paul had done. In just a few words, he had given them, in reality, the totality of the message of the gospel, at least what they needed to hear in this initial Uh, understanding or meeting of the gospel. And he also gave them a point of reference. He raised him from the dead. He raised Jesus from the dead. Remember where Paul was speaking. Athens was still, though Rome was in charge, Athens was still a capital of the world. Not a civic capital, but still a very metropolitan place. People would come and go through Athens all the time. Very likely people who had seen the resurrected Lord would pass through Athens. At the very least, people who had heard of the resurrected Lord would pass through Athens. 
Paul is basically saying, I know that you need proof of things. I know your intellectual, your educational background. Go check out the proof. And then listen to what I have to say. In our scripture reading this morning that Connor read for us a few minutes ago, we noticed that when the people heard these things, the reaction to what Paul said was about as varied as it possibly could be. And we want to look at their reactions this morning and see how people can and how we can listen to the Word. What is our reaction when the truth of God's Word is presented? How we hear is really shown in how we react to what we hear. In the text, there are three ways that the people reacted to what Paul presented to them. The first, in verse 32, is that some were mocking. Verse 32 simply says, some mocked. And the part of Paul's sermon that specifically is mentioned that they mocked about is this idea that one was raised from the dead, that God had raised someone from the dead. They, they, they couldn't believe that. Now keep in mind where Paul was. To the Greek mind, there was no such thing as a resurrection, or at the very least, it was a very sketchy idea. About 500 years before this speech was given, there was a Greek poet named Aeschylus who said in one of his poems that he was quoting the Greek god Apollos. And in that poem, he said this, Once a man dies and the earth drinks up his blood, there is no resurrection. That would have been a poem these people would have known, would have heard throughout their educational background. And we don't know how popular that poem still was, or whether the philosophy of there was literally no resurrection still was, but the idea that there was a resurrection was still very much not held to. And because of that, they mocked. The New American Standard Bible and some others said, says that they sneered. But interestingly, in the original language, the word is in a continual uh, point of view. They kept on mocking. They kept on sneering at Paul for what he had done. This was not just they told a little joke off the side. They kept on making fun of him for being so audacious and so out there as to say that somebody was actually raised from the dead. They just kept on going and kept on going. By the way, we live in a time where the idea of a resurrection is also attacked in many, many fronts. Both versions of the Humanist Manifesto, both Humanist Manifesto 1 and 2, contain the statement, there is no credible evidence that life survives the death of the body. I guess a risen Jesus isn't enough evidence for them. But we all know that that document, or those documents I should say, have infiltrated much of our world's thinking. But no matter the issue, whether we're talking about the resurrection or anything else, we need to understand that sometimes there will be some who mock the truth of the Word of God. And in fact, you know as well as I do, that we are living in times where that mocking only grows louder and more coarse. But that said, we need to be careful that we don't fall into the same trap. And you say, wait a minute, I don't make fun when the truth is told. I mean, here I am at church. I want to hear the truth. I want to open the Bible. I want to understand what God would have me to do. And I get that. But do I want to hear all of what God would have me to do? Do I want to readily accept everything that God says I am to do or that God says I am to avoid? You see, sometimes we mock not by just simply making fun of or telling jokes about something. Sometimes we mock the truth of God's Word by simply just rejecting it and saying, I'll do most of it, but not that. God could never really expect me to do that. Or I know God said this, but He didn't mean that for me. I'll, be, I'll do as much as I possibly can, but not, not that. 
And while we may not outwardly or overtly mock the truth of God's Word, see, by the way we live, we are mocking it. When we don't accept everything that God says we are to be to His glory. Let's make sure that we're always ready to hear all of the truth of God's Word. And while sometimes it may be difficult to follow, and sometimes it may be difficult to do or to think a certain way, or to speak a certain way, that we're willing to have a heart that says, whatever God says, that's what I'm going to do my best to follow. Some mocked. In the second place, there were some who were questioning. Now, I kind of like this second reaction in some ways. The end of verse 32 tells us that some said to Paul, we will hear you again on this matter. Now, of course, there are some, we would like to think that every single person, the first time they ever presented anything from the Bible, would go, yep, that's it, that's the truth, I'm ready to follow it right now. And that would be fantastic if that's the way everybody heard the truth and reacted to the truth. But there were some who simply needed further instruction. Now, some of you may have studied this before, may have seen some writers who suggest that these people were evading Paul. If they were using this, we'll hear you begin on this matter, as a way to sort of procrastinate. Instead of openly mocking Paul like the people were, other people were, these were saying, I'm not going to make fun of him, but I'll just buy some time. I'll listen to you again at some point. That's certainly possible. And if that's the case, it's at least commendable that they were willing to avoid the mocking that was going on all around them. But I prefer to believe, and I think the text points out, that they were simply saying, we don't fully understand this yet. They legitimately had some questions. They weren't openly hostile, but they also weren't ready to fully accept everything. They seemed to be decent people. We have people like that around us all the time. In fact, there may be some here this morning who fall into this camp in certain ways. You hear the truth, and it stands, I don't use the word opposed, but it stands different from something you've been taught for a long time. Maybe something you've been taught your entire life. And it's very difficult then to just flip the switch. Just go, oh, I've been taught this, now I see that, now I'm ready to change. There is an honest and sincere way to say, I've just got a few more questions. I need to understand some things a little better. I'm not sure I fully, fully get this. Instead of just turning off the message and turning, and turning on the mocking, to honestly say, I- I've just got some questions. But there's a warning that needs to be given here as well. The reason some scholars suggest that these people were evading Paul or procrastinating is because we have no record of them getting that second hearing. Of them actually coming up to Paul and saying, here's question number one that I've got. Here's question number two that I've got. Maybe they just said this to buy some time. That's why some scholars suggest that they were just procrastinating. It is one thing to have legitimate questions and to try to make sure that you are counting the cost of what it means to become a Christian and to follow Christ. It is quite another entirely to procrastinate simply out of stubbornness or out of, a, out of a mind that refuses to change, but you're not willing to tell anybody that you're not willing to change. Later in his life, Paul would be told by Felix, go away for the present, and when I find time, I will summon you. Acts 24, verse 25. So far as we know, that opportunity never materialized. It seems as though Felix, in that case, was simply procrastinating. Simply pushing Paul off. There may be some here even this morning that for whatever reason have just procrastinated becoming a Christian. Or maybe procrastinated coming back to the Lord. If you have legitimate questions, that's one thing. But look into your heart and make certain that you're not putting off what you know you need to do. And I say this lovingly, but just out of stubbornness. 
or just out of not wanting to hurt someone's feelings. We pray for people who have legitimate questions and who are willing to listen as we study with them and try to help them see the truth from God's Word. Some were questioning. But thankfully, there's a third category, and that is that some were accepting. Aren't you thankful that even in this falsely religious setting, even in this pagan place, there were some who accepted what Paul said as the truth? Notice verse 34. But some men joined him, that is Paul, and believed, among whom also were Dionysius the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Now, there are a couple of things to note about the wording of that verse. First, notice the text tells us they joined him. That is, they joined Paul. Literally, they glued themselves to Paul. The idea here is they became companions with him. They, they, they didn't want to follow Paul as, as God, but they wanted to stay as close to Paul as they could. They wanted to be his companion because he had led them, even in this very short speech, from from error into truth. And so they glued themselves to him so they could soak up whatever they possibly could from him. They didn't know how long Paul was going to be there, either in that particular location or even the city of Athens itself. So for as long as he was there, they wanted to be joined with him, glued to him, and learn what they could. They wanted to be a companion. There's a great point we made from that about our relationship with other people. Those whom we might call our companions those whom we might even say we are glued to in a certain way, are they people who are leading us closer to or further away from Jesus Christ? The people we glue ourselves to need to be people who are drawing us ever closer to Jesus Christ, who are helping us walk with Him. We're not following them, but they're helping us follow the Lord. But also notice the names themselves in the verse. There's this man named Dionysius. And he's given the description that he is an Areopagite. In other words, he was part of the governing council that sat in this place or near this place. That's why he's called an Areopagite. That's significant. How often are we told that only ignorant people follow the Bible? Only people who don't really think those are the only people who, who really fall, fall for this mythical stuff in Scripture. Here was a man of some great influence. He sat in the civic government of that place, and he was willing to accept the truth of God's Word, even though likely it went against everything he had been, been taught for his life. But we're also given the name of a woman, Damaris. Just that her name is given tells us that she was likely a woman of some influence, probably influential in the secular world. Luke who, who wrote the book of Acts, often, if you read his account of the gospel, as well as the book of Acts, focuses on women who became believers in the Lord. And that shows us that they were a major part of the early growth of the church. And so as we think about hearing the Word of God, we need to be always ready to accept all of it. But further, may I suggest, when we think about those with whom we want to study, or with whom we want to invite to worship, or specifically, as our gospel meeting is approaching, those we might think about inviting to something like a gospel meeting, we do not need to limit ourselves in who we would ask. From our companions, those we are glued to, to those we may think of as elite or aloof, everyone is a candidate who has an open heart 
and a receptive heart to the Word of God. If a person has a good and honest heart, as we're talking about in our class on Wednesday nights, the seed of the Word of God will penetrate that heart. That person will be touched. It may take some time. They may have some questions. But they may also be one who simply says, I had never seen the truth, and now I'm ready to accept it. Let's not limit ourselves in who we might ask. Acts chapter 18 begins with a very straightforward historical note. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. I've held a number of gospel meetings. And one thing I try to stress, sometimes from the pulpit near the end of those meetings, sometimes just in private conversations with people as we stand around and talk before or after a service, is this. The guest speaker has a great job. Think about it. He gets to roll into town with five or six or seven or eight of sermons that he's got to polish up just for that week. And he gets to present it. And when the week is over, he's gone. He gets to go back home. Now, there have been a couple of times where I've held gospel meetings and was asked to speak on a specific... I can't talk. You wonder why they ask me to speak at gospel meetings. I can't even talk. On a specific topic... And once I got there, I realized why they had asked me to speak on that specific topic, and it wasn't a real fun week. That has happened. But at the end of the week, I got to go home. Paul was only in Athens for a short time, and then he moved on. That's not to say a guest speaker's job or Paul's job in Athens is unimportant, not in the least. Sometimes just hearing a different speaker, sometimes just hearing a a different preaching style is enough to help us see something, to understand something that we didn't see or understand before. That's one reason we have gospel meetings. We we pray for not not a different Scripture, but a different perspective and a different viewpoint to help us see some things and, and gain some depth that we may not get normally. But here's the thing. When it's all over, it would have made any difference in our lives. You see, something like a gospel meeting or a vacation Bible school or even if it's just completed, something like church camp. Is it just something we throw on the calendar? And then when it's over, we check it off and say, yep, that's done. Let's go on to the next thing. Or am I listening to what's taught? Accepting what's taught so that it makes a difference in my life. An eternal difference for my soul. History tells us that Athens had a thriving congregation of the Lord's people for quite a long time. And it all started with just a few, just a few, who were willing to accept the truth of God's Word. The question I leave you with this morning is how are you listening to the Word? When the truth is presented, do you accept it because it is the Word of God? Do you legitimately have some questions? I I, I don't understand it, but I'm going to study it further. I'm not going to put it off. I'm not going to procrastinate. I'm not going to say, well, I'll get to it eventually. No, I want to learn. I may not accept it right in the moment, but I'm going to learn. I'm going to find someone, an elder, a preacher, a Bible school teacher, a family member who's a Christian to study with me and to help me understand these things more. Or do I say, I know what God said, and I do most of what God said, but not that. And by my life, am I mocking the truth of God's Word? It is no accident that we teach children and remind ourselves of God's plan of salvation. The very first thing that we teach them is hearing. Hearing. Because before I believe, I must hear. And I must really hear.
Not just let the words go in my ears and never make any difference. But let those words perk up my ears and say, that's the truth. And whatever God has said, I'm going to accept it as the truth. Because what did Jesus say about Himself? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. How are you hearing the Word of God? Are you really listening and letting it change your life? Have you made the necessary steps to become a follower of Jesus Christ? Starting with hearing, then believing it in faith, then turning from sin and repentance, then confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, and then being buried in water, baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Have you as a Christian said, I've done those things, but I haven't really been hearing, listening, obeying everything that God says. I've I've been doing some, but I, I have to admit, I haven't been living everything the way I should. I haven't been really giving God all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength. God is gracious, and God is loving, and God has given you the opportunity to make it right through His Son, Jesus. This morning, do you need to become a Christian? Do you as a Christian need to return in faithfulness? Don't put it off. Don't delay. And certainly don't mock at it by your life. But accept it as truth. And follow through with conviction and with action. As we stand and sing to encourage you.